I lived in Jackson, Mississippi in the latter part of the last century, um, otherwise known as the 90s. And I, uh, there was a legend there about, and I think it was true, enough people told me this with similar details that I think it was true. Uh, these two good old boys, good old boys otherwise known as rednecks, won a contest, and, the, and in the contest they won a ski boat. Now, they knew about boats, and, you know, little John boats and outboard engines, and so they didn't bother to learn anything about the ski boat. They just excited to have one, and, you know, they loaded it down with uh, beer, and they got ready to go out, and they rode it around a few times to see how fast it was, and they decided it was time to ski. And so they pulled up next to the dock, and uh, one of them got that ski rope out, and he laid it on the dock, and he put the skis on his feet, And he grabbed that handle and he wrapped his hands around it so he wouldn't let go. And the guy got behind the wheel and said, Are you ready, Ski Daddy? And he yelled back, Make it happen, Ski Cap'n. And the the driver just gunned the engine all the way forward. And that rope started going, And jerked him off the dock. Jerked him right out of the skis. He was just, because his hands were tied in there, he couldn't let go. And he was just going like this. And finally, uh, Ski Daddy, Ski Captain realized that Ski Daddy was drowning, and he stops, take him to the hospital like this. He couldn't put his arms down. Sorry, Siri, I'm not talking to you. So, um, I don't know if that's true or not, but probably. It sounds, it sounds like something, you know, we rednecks would do. And, that's the, and the point of that story is it's just not kind to give somebody something without teaching them how to use it. It's not kind. Um, I grew up in Tennessee, and Fourth of July was about one thing and one thing only, and that was about fireworks. And it was always fun. See, our, there wasn't a lot of jobs in West Tennessee, and so about a third of everybody who was born there had to move to either Detroit or Chicago to get a job. And uh, that means two things. One is the worst accent a human can possibly have is when they take a Tennessee drawl and go up to Chicago, and so it becomes a nasal drawl. It's amazing. All of my cousins had it. And uh, the second thing it means is if you moved to Chicago, you couldn't shoot fireworks. They didn't have them, right? It was illegal. And so they would always come back on the 4th of July, and it was always fun to see these guys who had never shot a firework. But they knew everything because they were smarter than us country bumpkins, but they never shot a firework, so we'd hand them a Roman candle. Here, knock yourself out. And uh, they would light that end of that fuse. And everybody knows that you light the fuse on one end and the thing shoots out the other, right? So they'd go, boom, and get hit right in the chest with a Roman candle. And we would laugh and laugh. But that was mean, right? It's not kind to give somebody something and not show them how to use it. I want you to understand that the Lord is, knows that. And he is kind. And he has not left us in the dark wondering how to use this earth or this life or this body. He's not left us in the dark searching around, bumping into trees with no compass and no flashlight. He has given us the truth. And it is vitally important as we live in any century, from the 1st to the 23rd, 22nd, 21st? We'll go 21st. 22nd will be true too. 
that we know the truth. God has not left us here without clear truth that shows us how to live. He's given us instructions for our life. He's not cruel. And loving that truth, receiving that truth, living by that truth is the only way to find freedom or to find life. Please stand as we read from Romans chapter 1. We'll start with verse 18 and read through verse 25. Hear the word of the Lord. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. This far the reading of God's word. All men, are like gra- uh, fl- all men are like grass and all of our glory is like the flowers of the field. And the grass withers and the flowers fall, but not God's word. God's word stands forever. You may be seated. God has given us clear truth to teach us who we are and how we ought to live. And loving that truth leads to freedom and to life. Now, I've been thinking about this series all summer, and I've kind of, in the last week, changed the tone and the direction of it. And what I mean is this. I, I like you, have a real heart and a sadness and a compassion for people who are leaving the church, and I kind of wanted this to be aimed at them, right, as as an effort to kind of last gasp, gather people back in. And I've done a lot of reading and talking and and study about why people have been been leaving the church, And, and what I've discovered is two things. One, when true believers leave the church, when people who love Jesus, leave the church, it's usually, it's almost always for extremely personal reasons. Um, They get hurt. They're abused. Um, Just something very personal happens that that crushes their personal faith. And, And in order to really reach them, you have to relate to them first and and gain their trust back. And you can't do that through a sermon. The the second reason people leave the church is because it just doesn't line up with the the lifestyle they've chosen. And I don't mean that by like saying, you know, they choose to go out and smoke pot and chase loose men or whatever. I mean, 
the American lifestyle is very self-oriented, very individualistic. And so usually people don't just say, hey, I'm going to leave the church. Usually they just move to get a new job and never find a church. Or their kids take up interests and, you know, our kids have to be personally fulfilled. And so if they need to be doing something on Sundays, we're going to do that. And then, you know, after eight to ten years of not going to church on Sunday because you're regularly following your kids around, you just never go back. Uh, it's not like this intentional, I don't believe in God. It's just a, a subconscious seeking after wealth or just what's the, you know, the next right thing for you. And church never, it just doesn't get that high up in the, in the pecking order. And so I, I can't really, no sermon is going to change your mind about that, honestly. Like if I just beg you, you know. Don't leave your community. You need this more than you think. You're going to be like, yeah, 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 I can find it somewhere else. And um, that won't work. So instead of kind of preaching apologetically or evangelistically, which I hope it, uh, it might work. I don't know who's watching online. But my real intention now, my tone and intention is, is for you, uh, especially those of you who may be younger, maybe getting ready for for life outside of the home for the first time, whether that be college or work or whatever, and making your own decisions, and you just feel this fog. Nobody seems to believe what you believe. Nobody seems to want to do what you do. Nobody agrees with with how you think life lines up, and it's confusing. And and I want to, to just confirm in you what you already believe and help you to navigate those, those issues, navigate life in that fog. And so what I've, I've kind of, I've stolen from the game, uh, you know, three truths and a lie, and I'm, I've decided to call this month uh, the truth and three lies, or three lies and the truth, however you want to do it. And, uh, and so the first week, this week, we're going to talk about the whole point is truth exists and you can know it. Truth exists and you can know it. And then next week we're going to talk about the lie that everybody believes that unless you are romantically attached and sexually fulfilled, you're not a whole human. And there's a boatload of application to that. And then the next week we're going to talk about the lie that happiness is out there and you have to go find it as an individual and then the third week, we're going to talk about the lie of shame and how you, you're only safe if you hide the worst and darkest parts of yourself. So that's where we're going this month. And the first thing I want to talk about just very clearly today is the truth is given to us. God has given us the truth, and you can know it. You can know it. God has revealed the truth to us. Romans says he is not hiding. You don't have to go up to the highest mountains. You don't have to study from the the smartest scribes. You can know the truth. He has revealed himself. He's not hiding. He is plainly and clearly seen. He is clearly seen in the world around us by the, the magnificent beauty of it, by the the intricate detail of our lives. Uh, just physically, the, uh, the intricacies of the human body, 
the, uh, the world. Uh, you know, Stephen Hawking says that just by pure luck, the world is expanding at exactly the speed it has to expand at to keep it from getting sucked back in and, and everything exploding. We're so lucky. And even um, things, I, and I could go forever on this, you know, the, the, the qualities of water, that it's the only substance in the world that's denser as a liquid than it is as a solid, and that's why ice floats, and that's why life is possible on this planet, and it just so happens that water has this, this quality to it that there's, every, there's the exact same number of drops of water on this planet right now than there ever has been. It never goes away. It never, it gets polluted, and that's a problem, but it's, it, 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 it maintains itself, which is, we're so lucky to have it that way, and, um, even things like our, our solar system and having planets like Saturn and Jupiter who serve as our big brothers. And they absorb comets and asteroids that could be planet destroyers. We're just so lucky to have it there. And, and we're just the exact right distance away from the sun. I'm sorry, y- y'all get it. it, it it's it, this, this universe, this life is not an accident. And that's the external proof. And there's internal proof that you know. You know that things are right and wrong. That comes from from God. That comes from being created in God's image. We know that if the law of the universe is love and to be loved, it is not kill or be killed. And we're different, right? When... uh, (laughs) This summer I watched uh, Chimp Chimp Kingdom on Netflix. Fascinating. They are shockingly like us in many ways. Uh, But male chimps like to kill baby chimps because they don't want to be threatened. And baby chimps are very cute. They got the big ears, right? We don't want baby chimps being killed. But nobody, like, goes and arrests male chimps, right? It's not morally evil for them to kill baby chimps. They are doing what chimps do. If you killed babies because you didn't want them to come up and get your inheritance, we would put you in jail. It's wrong. Why? Why? If, if, if kill or be killed, if the, if the law of survival is the, the law of, of life, then why? Because we have God's law written on our hearts. We have eternity written on our hearts. We can talk more about that if you have questions about it. We, we know that God has revealed the truth because of the rise of Christianity. I've, I've talked about this many times before, but, it, but the, at, the key, at, the, at the center of why we believe the Bible is this. We believe the Bible because Jesus believed the Bible. And we believe that it's, that's important because we believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And other than the Bible's testimony to that, we believe that from the historic testimony that Christianity can only be explained by the physical resurrection of Jesus. It can only be explained by that. Jesus was not a particularly good leader. He was not a particularly good teacher. He didn't write anything down. He wrote one thing in the dirt, it was erased. It is true. 
I mean, Confucius, uh, Buddha, they wrote books and books. Uh, Muhammad wrote books and books. Jesus wrote nothing. He wasn't particularly good at it. He did not organize his followers into, into troops and organized groups. He wasn't nearly as good at that as, as Simon Barkova was 100 years later, who led, uh, gathered thousands of Jews behind him. You know why nobody worships Silent Bar- Simon Barkova today? Because Rome came in and killed 500,000 of his followers. And he, didn't, he wasn't resurrected from the dead. And nobody followed him afterwards. And again, I could talk about that. And I have spent hours talking about that. But the, the rise of Christianity can only be explained by the resurrection. Because the, the Bible, we believe that God has revealed the truth because it conforms to our life. Our life conforms to the Bible in a way that we, we much more than we even like to admit. I, uh, when I was a first campus minister, first a campus minister right out of seminary, I was at a little rural school called Delta State University in West Mississippi. And uh, kids out there, man, they were tough. They were interesting folks. And um, I had a student named David, and David... Like the favorite, his favorite thing to do was to go uh, land parasailing. He had gotten hold of a parachute, and so he would tie on to the back of a pickup and have like somebody jerk him up off the ground. And he would, like, that's what he would do for fun. Like he was kind of crazy. He wasn't kind of. He was very crazy. And uh, but one day he was out intoxicated. Um, on a bridge, because that's all you had to do in, in, in Mississippi Delta is find a bridge somewhere and throw rocks. And uh, he was out there throwing rocks one night, and all of a sudden the Lord started revealing things to him. And he said, you know what, guys? He hadn't been to church in years. Just out of nowhere, he goes, guys, I think the Ten Commandments are right. Every time someone's broken one, it's just ruined my life. My dad committed adultery, and it ruined everything. And, you know, he just kind of started going through them. And his friends were like, what are you talking about? Go away. So he went away. He came back about 20 minutes later. He said, man, if the Ten Commandments are right, we are all in trouble. I just don't see how we can make ourselves better. And they're like, shut up and... They threw him another beer and told him to go away. And then he comes back and goes, I get it now. That's why Jesus had to die. And the Lord converted him out in the middle of this bridge. He really did. As, as weird, and There were other things that happened that night. But, uh, but he talks about all of a sudden going from the darkness to the light. And he, he came back into town, and there was a room full of his friends. And they said they, he walked in with a smile on his face. And they said, we haven't seen you smile in years. He goes, I think I became a Christian. It's a very odd story, and there was a lot of bumps in the road for David. But the point is this. He knew, even though he hadn't been in the church for years, he knew that the, the, the Ten Commandments, the laws of God, aligned with life. Aligned with life. There are many other reasons uh, why we believe uh, Christianity, the geographic rise of Christianity that the, the center of Christianity is, has always been growing throughout the, uh, the planet and has been moving. The, the center of, of Islam is still Saudi Arabia. The center of uh, Hinduism is still India. But the center of Christianity is, 
has grown and gone from, from Jerusalem to Rome to Europe to England to America, and now it's in Nigeria and Africa, and it's growing in South America. It's a, it's a true worldwide religion. Uh, it, we know that it's true because it's the best explanation for why we believe evil is in the universe and what God is doing about it. I'm going to just have to push everything over. All, all the reasons why we believe Christianity is true are now in the question-answer phase, okay, because i got to jump. All right, so that's the first thing. God has revealed the truth to us clearly. Second thing, and we have to admit this as a church, church universal, church historic, church Apostles' Creed church, is we have abused the truth. And we've used the truth to abuse people. And there's at least four ways that that we've done that. Uh, The first is that truth gives power. And we have, uh, in centuries past, confused political power with church power and tried to force converts through coercion and, um, you know, and when you study the Middle Ages and you study things that the church did and the state did in the name of the church, it's, it's hard. It's evil. Some really bad stuff. And there's no de- defending that. All you can do is say we, they were wrong. Um, they were wrong about a lot of things. A lot of it had to do with power and uh, wanting to stop sending money to Rome and start sending it to London, for example. But... Uh, that there's just no, there's no defense for the, the evil colonization that went on in the name of Christianity. And we don't have to defend that. It was wrong. Even though God has blessed it by taking Christianity through the world for it, it was wrong. Um, secondly, we have been really insecure with the truth. And so we thought that every truth was equally important and equally clear. And that's what do I mean by that? I mean, like, uh, one of my favorite theologians, B.B. Warfield, argued that if you didn't believe every word of the Bible was literally true, you weren't going to heaven. Okay, that's not true. He's wrong about that. He's dead. He's not wrong about anything anymore. But he was wrong about that. You, he, you don't have to believe that every, every vowel mark in the Hebrew Old Testament is inspired by God to, to go to heaven. You can say, hey, I think that's, you know, there are certain things that may, may or may not be allegory or parable or, or poetry, and, and there's room for disagreement. And you all know the stories of the, you know, Copernican Revolution when Copernicus is trying to say the sun is the middle of the uh, galaxy and Galileo saying, no, the earth is, and the church all lines up behind Galileo and, says, and wants, to, wants to martyr Copernicus for his belief in, in a heliocentric, sun-centered solar system, and, that, and we were just wrong. And, and Christianity is stronger than that, and, and it's okay. We can, stand the, we can stand the onslaughts of people who want to go, I don't think the world was created in six days. That's okay. There's a lot of different interpretations of that. Um, the, the center truths of Christianity are that Jesus is the Son of God, he came, he died for sins, he was raised on the third day, and he has, re- he has ascended into heaven and is returning. Those are the main core parts 
that we do not bend on. Everything else, we're, you know, we're, we're learning, we're growing. God has not given us an exhaustive knowledge of the universe. We don't know how old the earth is. We don't know how old humanity is. And we don't have to argue about all those things with equal violence. Those are two historical ones. I want to talk about two real common modern abuses now. And this is the one that's probably hurt the most people in this church. The church in the last 50 years, and probably forever, but I'm 54, so I can give you that much, has been very abusive when it's confused biblical truth with application. And what do I mean by that? I mean, there have been teachers throughout the decades who've come along and said, the Bible is true, and therefore, women have to wear dresses. And therefore, you know, it's okay for men to spank their wives. I'm trying to choose extreme examples, you know. Therefore, um, if you're sexually immoral, you're worthless. There's, there's just been a lot of spiritual abuse done when people have confused their application of the Bible with the truth of the Bible. Um, you know, and that goes, that goes for boatloads of things. And it, it, it seems like it's, it's been very strong recently with, uh, with particular teachers, uh, one, one in Idaho uh, named Doug Wilson, one uh, more locally uh, named Bill Gothard, but many others uh, who uh, the, the prosperity gospel that seems to be centered here in Tulsa, this, these applications of truth, making them absolutes. And therefore, if you disagree with them, you're, you're bad. You've rejected the truth. You've rejected Christianity. Uh, and that's, that's been extremely painful and abusive to people uh, that you know and maybe to you. Uh, the final way that the truth has been abused is by using it as a way to hate those who disagree. Uh, using it as a tribal mentality of us versus them. My son uh, just moved back from Nashville this weekend. He was in Nashville all summer. And you know how, you know, kids collect those plastic cups, right? Because they're not going to buy glass. We don't want them handling glass. And so, you know, it got all these stadium cups. And he brought home the stadium cup from a, a barbecue restaurant called Peg Leg Porkers. And uh, Peg Leg Porkers, on the back of the cup, was in, this incredible wisdom. You don't have to hate someone else's barbecue to love mine. And I was like, that's genius. That pretty much applies to every argument I've gotten in in the last eight years. That's amazing. You don't have to hate somebody else to love me. You can believe this truth or disbelieve this truth. You can do both. You, you don't have to hate somebody who doesn't believe every word of the Bible the way you do. You don't have to hate somebody who doesn't believe any words of the Bible. Actually, the Bible tells you to love them. And we don't have to treat life like it's, you know, my tribe against your tribe, my team against your team. And that's uh, become a very violent 
problem in our culture. Violent in the sense of emotional violence, not necessarily physical. So there are at least four ways the church has abused the truth. However, the truth is still the only way to be set free from death unto life, from shame unto love, from loneliness unto community. Um, I want you to know that. And the, the primary way I want you to know that is this. Before you start debating all the intricacies of the truth according to the Bible, come to Jesus. He is the truth. He said, I am the truth. I am the life. And that's important. You see, he dealt with a lot of people who had rejected his truth. And he didn't condemn them first and hope that they would come to repentance. He loved them first, and he welcomed them first. Uh, There's a great story of a, a woman who was caught in adultery. There's a lot of shadiness going on here because typically if a woman's caught in adultery, there's also a man caught in adultery. But we're not told about him. That's handy. And this woman is taken to the temple, and she's, she, they're about to stone her. The, the leaders of the temple are, are about to stone her, probably just to challenge Jesus and see what he's going to do. And, um, and Jesus saves her. He says, if anyone hears without sin, you can cast the first stone. And, and no one is willing to do that. And after they've all gone away, then Jesus comes to this woman, and he says, have they all gone away? And he says, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. Notice the order. I've forgiven you. Go and sin no more. It's not stop sinning and come back to see me tomorrow. It's not go and figure out if the Bible's true, then come back and, and with your tail between your legs and, and prove to me that you're adequately repentant. It's I forgive you. Go and sin no more. Uh, same is true of the woman at, at the well. There's a woman who's lived a very immoral life. She's had five husbands. She's presently living with someone who's not her husband. And Jesus talks to her and befriends her and, and explains to her that he is the Messiah. And he invites her to, to, to come to him and drink and have living water, have, have life everlasting first. Not asking her, are you sorry that you've had so many husbands? Do you promise not to do that anymore? He doesn't put repentance first. So if you're questioning whether or not Christianity is true, start with Jesus. Examine the resurrection. Examine the claims about him. If you don't, if you don't receive him, the rest of the truths are hard to swallow. And honestly, I don't want you to swallow them because people who walk around with the truth of the Bible without Jesus tend to be very mean. I don't want that for you. I want you to know him. He leads to life. I've talked long enough. Let's pray. Uh, we're going to sing one song, and then y'all can ask questions as long as you want. Let's, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for not leaving us here in the dark. Thank you for not leaving us here in the fog. But instead, you gave us clear truth. Truth about you. Truth that you are here truth about how we are to live, how we are to love, how we are to find life and find forgiveness. 
Father, I pray that you would rescue those who are wandering away by showing them that you're the only place they're going to find love. You're the only place they're going to find grace. Father, we confess that we have suppressed the truth rather than submitting to it. Would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that would open themselves up to you? We pray in Jesus' precious name.